hidden behind closed doors. This is Beer and Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Jason, what movie are we discussing? Today we're discussing 1962's Carnival of Souls. Michael? <laughs> Michael, what are we going to be drinking? Oh boy. Here, cheers. Cheers. We have something special. This is Loretta. It's a Belgian strong dark ale from Fieldwork Brewing in Monterey, California. Fieldwork there. Original brewery, I believe, is Berkeley, California. We happen to be in Monterey a little while back. Great brewery scene in Monterey. Fieldwork was one I hadn't even heard of, but I researched, found it. We went there. Fantastic. Really cool people. Great little beer garden. They had some really nice Belgian stuff. And I remember asking you to check it out. Tell me if there's anything that you're interested in. You're interested in this and a couple others. And so I said, I'm going to grab a couple crawlers. Nice. And, um, and that's what we're drinking. This, we each have a crowler. It's yeah. <laughs> it's a Belgian strong ale, so that's going to tell you something. Yeah. It's a 9%. There's no messing around. Don't drink this and go do field work with any like <laughs> tractors or heavy implements. You know, just It's more like you drink this and then you go back to the brewery yeah. and have some more. Or like, so, you know, watch, watch Carnival Souls. <laughs> absolutely. But, but um, great smell. Like almost I get strawberry, I get berries. Doesn't smell boozy. No, it's, it doesn't. It's, it's sweet. Got a beautiful sweet. color. Yeah, it's almost like a deep amber. How do you you like it? Right, I do, and, and I agree. It has a fruity taste to it. To steal one of your phrase phrases, this you could get over your skis with this. Oh, <laughs> because this does not have a strong alcohol taste. <laughs> no. I could sit there and drink all this, and I was like, "That's nine percent. That's a lot of beer." Yeah, yeah. Like, it is a nice sweet taste. It's one of those, if you were screwing around, it's going to screw around with you. Yes. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm loving every drop. I did not have this at the brewery because I knew we were going to have it for this. So I was, I've been waiting. I've been sitting on these for a little while, excited for this and this movie. Yeah. And it's a dark ale for a, a dark, weird, odd Surreal. movie. Filmmaker is from the Midwest. Lawrence, Kansas. So a lot of field work. A lot, a lot of farming <laughs> here in the farming area, you know, it's sort of around where I grew up, you know, not exactly, but Herc Harvey, the filmmaker, the director. Sadly, this is the the only film that he made. He worked mostly in um, industrial and educational films because this movie didn't get it didn't get very good support. It just frustrated him, and I really believe that is a loss for all of us because I love this movie. And you chose this movie. I did. I saw this movie as one I had heard about, you know, growing up, we were both movie nerds and loved horror movies. And you kind of come across this Carnival of Souls is always on lists. And then in school, I went to film school and and I remember we watched, there was a screening of it. And I think, I can't remember the class, but it was, I think had to do with like independent filmmaking because he did this on his own and raised the money. $30,000. Money well spent. This is a B movie. And it goes to our point that B does not mean bad. This is a very cool movie. Uh, I, and, and I was really happy. Found it on Amazon Prime. It looks great. Um, holds up well. It's scary. There, there are a few jump scares. But more it's this just tone that it sets. This impending what's going on. Tom Weaver in his book Science Fiction Stars and Horror Heroes from McFarlane. He interviewed Herc Harvey. He asked him how he came up with this idea, and then what happened? Why was this the only film? And Herc Harvey basically says he was in California making an industrial film for the company he worked for in Lawrence, Kansas, um, Centron. And on his drive back, 
was driving through Salt Lake City through Utah, and he came across the Saltaire, and he pulled over, and he thought, man, this would make a great film location. So he came back, he asked his co-worker, John Clifford, to write a horror script. Now, when they were done with the movie, he signed a distribution deal with a company called Hertz Lion. No money up front, but um, apparently offered pretty good percentage. And then he took off because of work for Centron. He went down to South America to film a couple things. And when he came back, he found that it had been distributed to the Southeast drive-ins. And it was doing, you know, well. And that he was owed some money. And Hertz sent him a check. And he tried to cash it. And it bounced. And then he tried to, by the time he tried to find where Hertz was, the guy had fooled the company and gone off to Europe. Never saw a penny from this movie. It's, Nothing. It's a shame. <laughs> I think it's, it's a loss for us all. Because I think this, if this was a sign of things to come... I think Herc Harvey could have been a, made a lot of really cool movies. Yeah. We get the start, the slowest drag race in the history of, <laughs> of the world. <laughs> the one area that it, you kind of see some amateurs, you can tell a lot of these are not actors. They're people, yeah. maybe just Herc knew, knew people around town. Local film school uh, or yeah, like that. The main, Mary is really good. And John, to a lesser extent, is, is good. Mary and her friends are in a car, and these fellas pull up alongside and start doing like, hey, you want a drag race? And he's doing, <laughs> doing this. The guy's really just an oddball. It's interesting to me. I mean, I know it's a plot device, and it has to advance the plot, but it's interesting to me that guys would want to drag race girls. Yeah. It seems out of... Sorts. I have no problem with it, but it seems like something that you wouldn't have seen very much of. I agree. So they start this little drag race that takes them out of town. The girl's car ends up going over a bridge. It falls into a river. Well, they're searching for the car. When this happens, all of a sudden, Mary comes crawling out of the river. Does it bother you that when Mary walks out of the river, she's not wet? I go back and watch that scene. She's muddy. I don't know if he did it intentionally, this dreamlike quality or the fact that she is dead. Her hair, her face, is has mud on it. She's not wet. So, I mean, I thought about that, and I, I kind of just think it was an oversight. And she might have just said, I'm not doing that. Yeah, exactly. You're not dumping water <laughs> over my head. So, and she gets out, and everyone's asking her what happened to her, what happened to the girls. And she says, I don't remember. And it's like the first inclination that something's not right. Yeah. If taking a car off a bridge yeah. into a river and you climbing out isn't weird enough... And as we go through this, besides maybe one male figure in this movie, it's hard to find a male figure in this movie who doesn't treat Mary poorly or disrespectful. And it's only men out at the old bridge. Yeah. Do you think they couldn't find the car for as long as they did? Do you think that was the supernatural at work? I think if you, if you flash forward to the end, there is a lot of analysis of this movie. And I, I read through a lot of reviews and analysis and they bring up two items now both of them were made into a twilight zone episode one was an occurrence at owl creek bridge it was a short story published by ambrose bierce um, in 1890 and it made it into a very famous twilight zone episode i think also in the lost tv show it was brought up as a breadcrumb but it's an instance where he's telling the story and you think this guy is like getting away from being hung and what you find out at the end of the story is that all this whole story went through like one second as he's being hung. Like he saw this whole adventure of him escaping and getting away from the military. They're trying to hang him. I think he was a Confederate soldier. Yeah. And at last, so at the end, when they pull out the car, my question is, is it really been a week? Even though the doctor says that, 
or because I'm not sure like what is real time. Really all this has gone on in her mind instance that she died when she went over the bridge. I don't take it like that. Yeah. I do I do think of it as like her whatever you want to call it, soul yeah. spirit. She doesn't know she's dead. Bridges are seen as transition phases. And then you could look at the river in like Greek mythology. Exactly. You know, you had to take a ferryman across the river Styx to get to the underworld. There's you know, all sorts of water you yeah, were born. Exactly. So something definitely takes place at the beginning of this movie. One other thing is that the drag racing men, they lie right to the cops. They're like, oh, like they just witnessed the car go yeah. off. They, <laughs> they, they weren't drag off. racing. It was terrible. Because <laughs> it looks like in the film that they're nudging the female oh, car. Oh, they're messing with them. Yeah. I don't know why they were crossing that bridge. bridge. Why would you drag race across a bridge? <laughs> yes, the definition of rickety was invented for this bridge. So getting a very cool, the credits. I love yeah. the credits. So they open with Carnival of Souls. Yeah. It's like this wavy type on the river. And they do this kind of neat thing that where you go through and the credits that are following the angles of things on the screen. So you have like sticks at an angle and they would have the producer, the director's name following the angle. The credits were very well done. Immediately off the bat, we are in like this surreal world. You could say this isn't really happening or this is happening. Or it's on a parallel. Somehow she transitioned to a parallel world. Yes. <laughs> when we transition after the credits... Mary's visiting the bridge again. The road to the bridge says travel at your own risk. (laughs) (laughs) There are people there. Only men. Still throwing the hook in the water. And there are other men watching. This is a big deal. Everyone's out there watching him try to find the car. Mary's on the bridge. She's looking. She's got this very curious face. like Sort of like there's something I should be doing. It's like she's being called to this place. Very interesting to me, just the sense of if I had actually survived a traumatic event, I mean, I don't know if I'd be going out there the next day. No. I'd be like, ah. She drives and she goes to what we find out is her current workplace. She's an organist. In church, (laughs) which is a very curious occupation for her because we're going to touch on this many times. She's got no use for religion. Playing organ at church is just a gig, which she went and studied organ playing. Unless you're an Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, the whole (laughs) organ thing, you know, you're a prog rock band. The organ gig is pretty much kept to churches. The majority of organists, even now, are principally involved in church music playing churches and cathedrals and they're cool you can get some beautiful organs and that's pretty it's kind of a neat i mean that's how i was brought up you know it can be sort of an interesting sound you get some beautiful music out of it and she has sort of a snide opinion about religion sometimes it almost like this distaste that she has but one thing is when mary plays the organ everybody stops what they're doing it's like her music touches their soul even though one of the ways you could look at it anymore is like Mary doesn't have a soul. Like she's lost her soul in that river. <laughs> Absolutely. And we find out she's leaving. She's been planning to move to Utah. This was this isn't due to the accident. And Mary is just, she's very kind of like short with the priest. And he's asks, are you going to see your parents? And, and at first it catches her off guard. And I think she's trying to find an excuse. And she says, no, I'm not. This is an odd thing. Someone who has just suffered a traumatic experience... I think most people, the reaction would be like, I need to take some time off. I need to be with people who care with for me, mm-hmm. like my parents. Because clearly, even though she talks about being isolated, not being with people, at the beginning of this movie, she has friends. She's driving in a car with other women. I assume we know her friends, or she just came to a stranger's car <laughs> dragging about town. It's a ride. She's quite clear that she doesn't want to see her parents. And part of thinking, well, 
they would recognize that she's not who she is anymore. Yeah. She flips the priest some attitude. And this is the first time she actually says playing the organ is just a job. And then she leaves and she kind of really nasty. I'll never, I'm never coming back. And you remember when the priest actually says it takes more than intellect to play music. Try putting your soul into it. The soul comes up a lot. Because Herc Harvey, when he talks about it, the tent is she's a lost soul. She's a poltergeist. The priest says, you know, hey, next, stop by and, and visit next time you're in town. And really with that real, like, kind of nasty little attitude, she says, thank you, but I'm never coming back. And part of me is thinking at that point, she's saying that because she is dead. She will never be coming she back won't. to them. No. <laughs> so when they're going through and they show the shop room in this scene, people are listening to Do you know there's a bunch of girly pinup posters yes. on the wall. Yes. I, I was like, oh, things don't change sometimes. And also this, you're working at the church, bud. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I know that's what I'm like. Oh. I've been in a number of churches and I've never seen like nudie pics tacked up anywhere. The interesting thing is the priest does have this exchange with the carpenter. Yeah. He's like, you'd think she'd feel something, humbleness yeah. or gratitude. If we take that she's alive right now, she lost two friends. She just went off a bridge into a river. This just happened a day or two ago. And she's got PTSD. Ease up. That's a nervy kind of attitude I thought he had. The scenes after this, scene after scene, every scene, it's not exactly like tense, but it's uncomfortable in terms of the men's reactions to her or what she sees. There's no sense of comfort in this movie as it goes further and further on. I'd say the carpenter yeah. is the closest thing yeah. because, and he does reference, he's like, she's always been a little different. He seems somewhat understanding because he says, and it's the one of my favorite lines in the whole thing. He says, well, if she's got a problem, it'll go right along with her. And that's about the truest thing in the whole movie. Because Mary ends up back at the bridge one more time. Yeah. Called her again. She does have a problem. And her problem is she doesn't realize she's dead. Now we're going to Utah. I've driven through that area. It's a beautiful drive. Just driving out in those wide open spaces is gorgeous. There are parts of Utah, I know you've been through it, where you feel like you're in another planet. It's otherworldly. Yeah. I don't know if Herc meant that in any way. But to me, Utah is just such an interesting landscape. Yeah. And she drives straight through, and, you know, I checked, it's about 15-hour drive from Laura's, Kansas to Salt Lake City. It's not a short drive. <laughs> no. We get this kind of little montage, and then there's night, and she's playing some, we get the or, the organ music, I call it the Carnival of Souls theme. Every time Jane would walk in, and I have it on, she's like, that music freaks me out. And I said, it is a little, it's that organ music, yeah. and it's, it's almost like a calliope sound to it. It gets into you. It provides atmosphere to this movie. That score really adds to it. I'd say like Suspiria, Dario Argento's Suspiria, where this movie would be completely different if it had a different score and soundtrack. Yeah. Just like Goblin with Suspiria. That's how much I think of this movie, is that I will mention it with (laughs) Suspiria. And that music plays at night, and it's the first time where this weirdness enters in. I think you could think that maybe it's she's vacillating or flickering between reality or death and living because she tries to change the station and it's on every station. So yeah, I mean, I know that would freak me out. I'm kind of done with the creepy organ (laughs) music and you switch the station and it's it's like, like, well, that's... 24-hour creepy music. (laughs) Twice is a coincidence. Three times is I'm in trouble, you know? And then this is the first time where she sees this huge pavilion, the Saltair. We're going to call it that going forward. So she sees this off in the distance, and it is a cool shot. I can see why Herc would want to use this, because it's this huge pavilion in the middle of nowhere. 
and you've got creepy organ music like, coming out of the radio <laughs> that you can't get rid of. <laughs> I'm like, Mary, start thinking about what you're doing. And this is the first time she's driving and she looks out her window. She looks at the window through the passenger side. And for a, for, for a flicker, she sees her reflection. And then what does she see? She sees, I refer to it as the ghoul. So do it's, I. That is like one of the first images I remember of this movie. It's what it's a classic image of yeah. this this yeah. face. It's actually her Carvey. And to be perfectly honest, Jason, her reaction is wrong. I mean, it should have been so much more like insane. Like, what would you do? Yeah. Let's let's run it down real quick. You're driving in the yeah. middle of the night through Utah. The radio won't change music. It's every channel plays the same creepy organ music. When you look out the passenger window, yeah. window there's a terrifying ghoul staring back yeah, exactly. in, and she she's like ah, yeah. you know, like Ta-da! like that again. I mean, it's, it's like it's a, it's a great jump scare. It is. No matter how many times I've seen it, gets me right under the skin. So the next time you see the ghoul, it's standing in the middle of the road, and she swerves, and Mary gets in the second accident of the movie this has far less consequences because she's already dead (laughs) at least in my opinion (laughs) her reflection she sees her face and she sees his face opposed on it and he if you think he represents death it's trying to tell her you're dead it's not like it shows up next to her reflection it replaces her reflection because i agree i i think she's dead fortunately she's able to get herself out that's when we get the history lesson she stops to get gas and we talked about this a little bit because we keep stumbling upon gas station attendants who fill in a lot of gaps yeah. to give us a history lesson on stuff. I said four. When we hit four, I think we got a thing. Yeah, we We've do. got two. We I got know two, two for And a I half. know another movie that will we'll bring up that it's another gas attendant telling like the history of something. So we find out Saltaire, this pavilion that she saw, started as a bathhouse. Then when the lake dried up, it became a dance hall. Then buildings were erected. He's actually giving the true history. This structure stands out there where it's burnt down a couple times. They try to keep that facade that looked that very Moorish design. You could go there today. It's still out there. I do have to bring up, you know what? We'll link out to it in our show notes. (laughs) The second Twilight Zone episode. Another episode that came out before this movie was made. It's called The Hitchhiker. Season one, episode 16, very famous one where a woman gets an accident while she's driving across country. After the accident, she keeps seeing this hitchhiker. She died in the accident. And this is death trying to tell her, like, you need to, like, this is over. Catch up. That's a great episode. Yeah. I think it's been ripped yeah. off oh. or, you know, riffed on. Yeah. There's so many about the hitchhiker. But, yeah. So, yeah, we get to Mrs. Thomas's boarding house. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's not a boarding house. <laughs> Where I was pleasantly surprised to find out, you can take as many baths as you want. <laughs> She don't really fuss about things like that, but it was just sort of an odd thing. She brings it up twice. Yeah, and it they have indoor up. plumbing. Like, she's not going to a well and bringing water in for the woman's bath. Well, and she's not running a boarding house. Yeah, it's, There's just, yeah. and Mary, before Mary, there was one person, we're, we're about to meet him. Mr. Linden, or as I from, he reminds me of Quagmire. Quagmire oh, when, when I saw it, I laughed out loud. It's just the giggity giggity. Giggity giggity. I, when, I, when I read you, I was like, oh my God. It's a, You know what? He's actually less creepy, or more creepy than Quagmire. But John is the creepier version. Of yes, Quagmire. exactly. So yeah, but Mrs. Thomas, she's, she's got a house. She's got a, it looks like a huge house. Yeah. And she's she tells Mary, you know, take as many baths. It's only you and John, so that's how it is. Yeah. So you know, Mary 
goes up to her place, and that's where we get get another ghoul sighting in her window. And again, she kind of reacts pretty calmly, which on one hand I thought, well, that's not, you know, that doesn't make sense. But then I thought, well, it does, because Mary seems, at times, seems like very empty. The Tom Weaver interview in Science Fiction Stars and Horror Heroes, he pointed out that he wanted Mary to walk like she was empty, that she didn't really have reactions to anything. The actress who played Mary... Hillegoss. Candace Hillegoss. She's really good, and he pointed out that she she was a classically trained actress, that she was actress who was always asking, like, what's my motivation? He's like, ah, you know, to get across the street. He really wanted her to play it empty. Mrs. Thomas, is, it's, not, it's not a rooming house. Yeah. It's, this ain't no regular rooming house, as she puts it. I only have you and Mr. Linden across the hall. And basically, like, what you're saying... It's like you have a dead woman and then a sexual predator. <laughs> this is not a regular place. <laughs> this is like a setup for a dark FX series. It was like a British show, and then we remade it poorly. <laughs> it's like it's a, a rooming house where, in, in a normal rooming house, you can take as many baths as you want. The only people living there are a dead woman and a sexual predator. One creates crimes, one solves them. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Miss Thomas says that, but the whole time she's looking at her water gauge. It's like, I know they're taking baths. <laughs> what is that, three? Is that three baths today? I should. I got to stop telling people you can take as many baths as you want. I, I, I don't even, how did I put that in the ad? It's like. Because John she, Linden doesn't look like he takes any baths. Oh, <laughs> he, he, he bathes in something. <laughs> and so, speaking of ba- uh, ba- boozing. Um, oh, yeah. This is. This thing is. Is really helping discuss this movie. I'll <laughs> it's tell you, cold. It's cold, but as it warms a little bit, as a lot like beers like this will, it just like opens up. Like I'm getting a stronger berry. I mean, this is. I'm so happy yeah, with this. It is really good. Cheers again. Cheers again. Yeah, you got your Tarantula Hill glass. That nice, yes. Very nice glass. Thank you. Okay, so now we got, Mary's got her new gig. I just kind of like the idea of you show up at a church, you're the organ player for a church, and like, this is just a job <laughs> to, to, the, to, to the priest. It's just a paycheck. That's yeah. all this is. Like, I want her to have a cigarette dangling out of her mouth, just yeah. being all like, I don't care. Yeah, just you give me the sheet music. Yeah. Any part of your congregation. <laughs> your hoity-toity, amen this. Once she starts tickling the ivories, man, everyone stops. The priest actually says, we have an organist capable of stirring the soul. She just can't stir her own soul. And I do have to point out that she is in Salt Lake City, and this is clearly not a Mormon church. So it's interesting that they shot in Salt Lake City. I think it's strictly because he wanted that abandoned location. Because I think this location, I think besides the Saltaire, everything else was filmed in and around Loris, Kansas. Someone okay. has a nice. Someone has a nice website up. We'll link out to it in our show notes where they've tracked down the locations. Of like <laughs> Utah is predominantly Mormon. I still think to this day it's sixty-two percent of the population is Mormon, but she's working as an organist for a non-Mormon church. Because Does- sixty-three is probably a lot higher percentage. As she's playing, the ghoul walks in. The other scenes dealing with the ghoul, the camera work suggests you're seeing it from Mary's perspective. Mm-hmm. You're seeing it out her car window when she's looking, or out the front of the window when she's looking, or out of her window in an apartment when she's looking. And so you're assuming that this could be all in her mind. But this is the first time where the camera work is not from Mary's perspective, and you watch that ghoul walk in. So then I'm thinking, wait a second, maybe this is a real ghoul. 
But it is interesting also, she's playing the organ, everyone stops, even the ghoul. Because yeah, yeah. it's like he just shows up. And and it's also Jason, but the ghoul usually shows up for her. Mm-hmm. Right then, he's showing up for himself. It's like her playing yeah. can stir everybody and even stirs the ghoul. Because yeah. he just shows up and he's like, I'm not going to hassle her. So death can be even moved by her music. When she's done playing, she's walk, she walks over and she's looking at the stained glass. And the stained glass is labeled to heal sickness. And I think that's Matthew 10, verse 1. And it states, and when he called unto him his 12 disciples. Man, I, it's really... A- <laughs> 12 disciples? He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And the point is that she needs to be healed because she's dead but when the minister asked her (laughs) when the minister asked her what she sees when she's staring out that stained glass her response is nothing she's dead but i would also say that if if herc was around and you asked him he'd probably say it was just a cool thing to shoot. I yeah, that I know. Window. That's exactly it. That's exactly <laughs> it. I just thought it was a neat shot. I kind of like the stained glass. glass. You got the one guy looking this way. It's like, good fellas. You got one guy looking this way. You got the other guy looking this way. And he's like, what do you want from me? So what do they do after that little conversation? What everybody does with their on their first day on the job is they go run errands with the priest. I take them out into the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I got the impression salt air is yeah. kind of not just easily accessible. It's kind of out there. So they go to check out the creepy pavilion, the, the salt air, the carnival. Yeah. And he's trying to do everything he can to prevent her from going in. It, it's not a hard place to get into. And I love how he's, well, the law forbids it. <laughs> Much like the bridge, the carnival is calling her. Something is drawing her there. The priest is like, no, no, no. And giving her a few looks. What You would actually go in there. Like, <laughs> Question her motives of why yeah. she would do something like that. I have to point out that that drive with that weird organ music on that road to the Saltaire in the center shot of the screen, it does remind me of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Like, that Saltaire is messy. It's a character itself. Yeah. And I thought that drive, they did a really... I mean, sure, they just had, like, the camera on the car mounting on that bumpy road, but I, like... It, they did a really good job. No, that, that was... It would, I, it would be kind of... It would be interesting to, if to know if, if Kubrick had seen this. Herc did a good job for the money he had, and sadly only made one. Oh, the, the, a lot of the shots on here. Yeah. I mean, he had experience yes. making yeah. films, so. Yeah. But man, this is just—it's visually an arresting, spellbinding film. And that gets to like the ghoul appears in the saltair, and once again, the camera camera works from the omniscient perspective, where you're like, once again, like. It's not from Mary's perspective or the priest. The ghoul's sitting there watching. And that is only the second time that the ghoul is shown where he's not making his presence known to Mary. And, you know, it's a cool shot. He does some amazing, some great shots because the ghoul is kind of standing there sort of as if, you know, I'm waiting for you, Mary. Sooner or later, we will get together. I'm going to fill us up. Cheers. Cheers. Who else did you visit while you were visiting field work up there? Oh, let's see. We did field work. There's another one, Alvarado Street Brewing, right down the street from field work. There's a place called Dust Bowl, which is in a an old train depot. And then there's another one called Other Brother, which was a little bit away from this little area that we were in. Very cool scene. I'd never been to Monterey. We went up there just to get away for a few days. Drove up the coast. It's a beautiful little town. Monterey was gorgeous. Field work was just lovely. That was one, I, like I said, you just 
This is the nature of what we do. We both like beer. So when you go somewhere, you look up, what's the beer scene? Fieldwork, first, I just like that name. The branding is nice. It's got all these plants on it. They were doing like some interesting Belgian beers. It is a strong dark ale. You know, it is. I think I might feel it a little bit. You know, it's like it's putting me like a little more in like um, Carnival of Souls. I'm fe- I'm feeling the Carnival of Souls vibe sort of wash over me a little bit. As long as the ghoul doesn't come exactly. walking out of that closet, like no more. Yeah, of this. I go ah, I got to rethink my choices. Who are we introduced to next? I call him Creeping Creeperton. (laughs) Mr. John Linden. So, okay, first of all, Miss Thomas, did you eat? And Mary's like, no, I didn't get a chance. She's like, well, I have some sandwich fixings and coffee. So Mary goes up and she takes one of, I'm assuming, six baths a day. Because you can take (laughs) as many as you want. And all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. She clearly says... Come on in, Miss Thomas. The door opens. She's got the chain on. So right there, it's like Mary kind of dropped the ball. But good thing in this situation, because you find out it's not Mrs. Thomas. It's her neighbor, John. She says, come in, Miss Thomas. And yet he still tries to enter. That's not a good first impression. No. And it doesn't get any better from there. This guy's creepy. She gets out of the bath, slowly opens the door, and he tries to push himself in. Mm-hmm. He's like, wait a second, wait a second. With the face yeah. up against the little space yeah, from the chain. Exactly. Like, how many times in your life have you done that? <laughs> no. Where, like, you open a door and it's there's a chain holding it, and you stick your face to that little space. You know, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And his socks. It does, because she finally puts on her house robe, and oh, she goes and back. And he's peeping, trying to watch, like, oh, like, oh, can I, I get a little... It's really disturbing. Once again, it goes to this, like, where the men you meet who interact with Mary, there's not a solid person who's very nice, caring, understanding of her. Give me the ghoul. Yeah. <laughs> give, give, give me the ghoul out at the pavilion over this clown. This guy stinks. She eventually brushes him off, but then... What does she see, though? She looks down the stairs and she sees... The ghoul comes into the boarding, not a boarding house house. (laughs) She looks down and sees the ghoul, freaks, goes in and locks herself in the room. The ghoul is coming upstairs. And all of a sudden, the doorknob starts twisting. Turns out it's Miss Thomas. And Miss Thomas comes in, drops down the food. I think Mary puts her off by saying, who is that other man? She's like, there's no one but John. Even Miss... Thomas is caught off guard by the threat of another person. This is the first moment where you see Miss Thomas thinks something might not be right. This elevator might not go to the top floor. And also, I like her nice little bit of acting because she's like, I have to live here too. So don't be goofing around about men sneaking around this house because this scares me. And she does do like the double take when she leaves, but she got her sandwich fixings. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like (laughs) on to bath number five. (laughs) So, okay, I have a question. Was that a dream when Mary wakes up to the storm, goes to the window and the carnival is calling her? It was just something that watching it over and over and over that I, I, I just... Because you can almost say that's like a dream... Within a dream. Like, she's dead already. Can the dead dream. Exactly. I know Cthulhu. (laughs) You know? You could write off that she had that nightmare and woke up. Or you could say, no, that really happened. She's still calling her. And, And the reason why, as the movie goes forward, she seems more and more at times restless. Is it because she's losing sleep? Because every night, death is trying to call her and get her to come back. As the inevitable approaches. So, and as that time 
gets shorter and shorter, it makes you a little... I mean, of course, if we all knew that, it yeah. would make, freak us out. Yeah. But she does wake up, and this we get creep encounter number two. <laughs> John, old John pops in, and he has coffee. Nice neighborly thing to do. It was, but not from him. No. Not from him. Wouldn't trust his coffee. And he's not very smart. She uses a word with like more than two syllables. Yeah. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't I don't know them big words. I'm just a guy who works in a warehouse. He's also an alcoholic. Yeah, he drinks in the morning. He drinks in the morning. And not only that, you know, because, hey, we all go camping. Yeah. And that's an appropriate time. There's a time and a place yeah. to have a drink in the morning. But he pulls this flask out and he goes, he pours her coffee, pours him coffee, pulls it out and he goes... I have a couple shots left over from last night. Want a little bit in yours? You know, so it's like, it's not just that he's having a drink in the morning. It's that he was drunk last night when he was trying to break into a room. And now today he's like, I'm just going to keep, keep the wheels turning on this. Also, it's a work day. Exactly. (laughs) He works in a warehouse. I'm like, unless your job is sleeping on the floor at a warehouse, it's like, dude, you're drunk last night. You're just going to maintain that buzz this morning. Break it down. John shows up unannounced, tries to force his way in when she says Mrs. Thomas's name, pops in the next morning, forces his way in, then pulls last night's booze from his back pocket. That's John as we know him right now. And that's how Mary knows him. And she's actually a little more comfortable with him today. During the daytime... It's like this transition between night and day where during the daytime she's a more laissez-faire and she almost is a little flirty with him. And what I like is when she finally, she's like, you know, time to go, John. Yeah, he's yeah. Gonna, he won't let her rinse out the cups because it might ruin the f- taste. Like yeah. He's afraid to but, lose any booze. It's like it's like his own barbecue, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exa- These are my glass. I never watched them. <laughs> exactly. What I, what I really liked was was Mary's like getting him to the door and, she, and she's like, are you going to be able to make it back to your place? Basically implying yeah. like, you know, you're drunk. And he goes, hey, I think you got the wrong idea about me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. She has you're, him. You're a creep and a drunk. And she's like, well, you're just carrying all that stuff. That's what I mean. He's like, oh, where your mind went because that's the truth. You're a creep and you're drunk. I do enjoy his, his conversation about college with her, saying that he was a good football player and that he could have gone to college too, but he got so bored with, he's like, you know, principal products this and principal, and I'm like, what class? First of all, he is not a good football player. Like, there's no way a man his size I mean, would be. <laughs> I mean, he could be. He, <laughs> at that time, you know, in high school, and you know, you, everybody, you know, you have the guy at the bar who's yeah. like, he's like, I won that state game in uh, senior year. But his stumbling block in school, principal products, and I, I was with you, I, I think we were both like, what the hell? What it's class like, do you take? Yeah, that? and you and you like wrote some down. It's like principal products is, is basically like, what do you make? Like, yeah. you know, Iowa's principal products are like pork and corn, yeah, exactly. beef and soybeans. Yeah. What class do you like? We're gonna memorize our principal products of every country in the world because, like, you know, principal products of Brazil. I'm like, well, that's an odd class. Where that stopped your collegiate career? It wasn't like you point out math, algebra, it wasn't science. I skated like right through algebra. Yeah, like English. I was, I'm a novelist. I was, it was the principal product class you know, memorizing what Brazil yeah. produced. I'm like, that's not even a class. It's like, what's the principal products of Brazil? <laughs> this was the thing that tripped you up in life is principal products. You should be the one at the bottom of the river. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I just want to point out that the principal product of Brazil is iron ore. <laughs> well, there you go. I would have said coffee. Then Mary... Her day is going to be spent shopping. The way this scene shot... 
for oh. a minimal budget is done really well. It's great. First of all, she's trying on a black dress. Again, Herc might be like, ah, just that's just what was available. Yeah. But to me, black signifies you don't wear black to a wedding. You wear yeah. black to, to a, a funeral. funeral. That's kind yeah. of tradition. Yeah. So she goes and she's trying on this dress. And suddenly the screen goes wavy. And then the sound completely changes. The screen goes wavy. She's in the changing room. It's quiet. There's no sound. There's no diegetic music sound within the movie. The world sound stops. And she can't get out of the changing room at first. And then when she gets out, she goes over to the lady who was helping her, tries to hand her the dress. She says, you know what? I, I think I need it raised. Or, the woman completely ignores her. To me, it seems that she flickered out of true existence. She can't interact with the real world. I do not believe it's the um, incident. Is it incident at Owl Creek? Is that, it's yeah. all in her mind. I do believe that she's a spirit because she wasn't a believer. This journey she's on is making her believe. She has to believe in something. No, but it's fantastic. It's shot well. The sound, we've always had this cacophonous organ music going on. People are doing a good job of just ignoring her. her. She doesn't exist here now. It's just so, so well done, this whole sequence. I mean, she's struggling with this, and she gets out into nature, which is an interesting point. It's a nature, and she looks above her through the tree branches and the light reflecting down and then she the sound turns back on she's back in the real world the bird like, first thing she hears is, is a, the is a bird, bird in the tree but that light filtering through the tree leaves reminds me of light that's filtered through stained glass in a church because i think it touches on your theme she has to find a call in her meaning in life you could read into this that is some higher power that's god saying i can't make you believe you have to come to that on your own. Yeah. That's something that's going on there. And she sees a water fountain. So she goes and gets a drink, looks up. We don't know what she sees. We assume there are two times this happens where we just got to go by her reaction. She must have seen the ghoul because we don't see anything. No. We see there's a there's someone standing but, there. I think it's Herc's uncle. Yeah, the guy, the guy looks creepy to begin with. Like, yeah, you know, it's, and it's he another, have been in horror movies. It's another non-actor. Yeah, he, had a fa- he had a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> No disrespect to that man. I mean, I'm glad that he got to appear this. Absolutely. She freaks and she runs into the arms. Good thing this dude's walking by. A doctor who sort of takes the reins. This guy could probably have her committed. And he's not mean or anything. I thought he was going to slap her at first. Because he's holding, if you look at her hands and how he's holding her arms, he is holding her really tightly. I thought it was going to be one of these airplane kind of skits. So he's getting her to calm down, and we find out the man who was standing at the water fountain was just a just a guy. When someone's at a water fountain, you don't go walk over and stand one inch from the water fountain. Once again, males and their treatment of her in this in this movie. Doctor, he said, "Hey, my office is across the street. I can take you there." He's not a psychiatrist. But that's the thing. Like, we don't even know what he's a doctor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like, I, I wrote down, you know, it's like, this man was attacked by a shark. Stand back. I'm a podiatrist. Exactly. There's a foreshadowing yeah. here. And it, it's a classic moment yeah. in the movie. She's at the doctor's office. She's speaking to him. And this at this point, we think maybe this guy is a psychiatrist because yeah. his chair is turned with the back to her. Yeah. They're talking about yeah. her experience, and he turns around. He's like, I'm sorry, I turned around. Yeah. I had to write some things down. Yeah. Right? My grocery write... list for today. What? It's impossible to write over here where I can see you, you rude jerk. But that's when he says, just over a week ago, you survived a car wreck. Yeah. 
No one knows how you got out, which is an odd little bit of information to have. She has no desire to be around people, but I do like when he's talking to her and then finally goes, I'm not a psychiatrist. Why did you bring me here? You know, why couldn't you refer me? You gave me this false hope that you can help me. Yeah, I'm a doctor of political science. Like, whatever it is, this is, doesn't mean a lot to me, <laughs> what you're saying, but I'm going to, as a man, I'm going to solve your problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> After her doctor appointment, she decides to take another visit, even though uh, against his wishes. Yeah, which, by the way, pal, yeah. we met like an hour ago. Exactly. And you're not my primary care physician. <laughs> and you're suddenly deciding, ah, where I shouldn't, shouldn't go, yeah. nuts to you. And he's not even a psychiatrist. He's too. not. He's not, again, I mean, he might be a doctor of political science. I like, I like that, the idea that he's a doctor of political yeah, science. He's like, I don't understand anything that you say here, yeah, but exactly. I'm going to give my best shot. <laughs> She drives out to the Saltair again. The Saltair is just calling her. It's calling her. A couple odd things happen. She walks by there. Look like giant bowling pins. Must be like hanging from the ceiling. Where you must roll a giant ball and hit them. She walks by those, and then they start moving. Cool slide, but this really nasty looking mattress comes sliding down. There's a lot of this surreal, dreamlike moments. I mean, that is an eerie abandoned location. He does a lot with it. I mean, I, you, you do have to have an eye. And you're just waiting. Something's got to happen here. And apparently you find out at this point, too, that the ghouls like to live in water. Back to the water. She tosses a coin in the water. And we see the ghoul under the water. It's just a creepy shot. Yeah. In classical Greek mythology, that you had to pay Charon, the ferryman, the sticks coins to get across into the underworld. Is mind. that uh, the pennies in the eyes when they put coins in the eyes? I think that has to do with it as well. Is that yeah. your, that's the fee yeah. to get across the river? So, okay, bad day for Mary. And she goes to work that day and she starts playing the music. All of a sudden, there's this expression on her and you could tell either she's possessed all of a sudden she starts playing that eerie organ music mm -hmm. which unsettles the minister. It's a montage. Yeah. It goes pavilion, the saltair, water, clouds, moon, the ghouls coming out of the water. Because now there's more than one ghoul. Yeah, that We're is getting closer to the very end. Very scary. Oh, shot well. menacing as heck. And then the ghouls coming out of the water, the ballroom, the ghouls all dancing. There's a whole bunch yeah. of ghouls now. The main ghoul walks out of the dancing yeah. crowd. Hands extended towards yeah. Mary, which is a classic shot yeah. from this movie. Then that goes from his hands to the priest's hand yeah. on her stopping her playing because it's, it's blasphemy. <laughs> blasphemy. <laughs> I think it's a bit of an overreaction. Again, this is like over 50 years ago. I don't think it was that offensive. Yeah. I mean, basically he's saying... You just played devil music. And this is long before Black Sabbath was Exactly. Band. And like, you're fine. I mean, this is like Fires organ. on the spot. I know. That's it. He has that line. I feel sorry for you and your lack uh, of soul. And he's not talking about James Brown. So it's another <laughs> allusion to like yeah. her being dead. There's yeah. no soul. She's just a wandering husk. And she's losing connection to everything now. And I, it's really interesting. He draws so many conclusions yeah. about her and from that one incident. Yeah. And she doesn't say one word. You think her night can't get any worse. Yeah. You know, I have this date with John, and I have oh, to go now. <laughs> boy, is, is this date just a... She is partially to blame. I mean, she accepted his offer. They go to... Uh, it looks like the Happy Days set, honestly. It, it totally does. <laughs> it's like a malt shop where people are playing music on the jukebox. They're dancing, but you can also get a beer. I think... I can't tell her beer bottle, like his beer bottle, but I think her beer bottle is a Budweiser. 
He is volatile. Even his body language, he's turned away from her. He's just pouting and snapping at her. She says, I don't drink really. And he goes, you don't drink really. Not only do I drink really, I really drink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd still take the ghoul. He was expecting, since she accepted his offer, that they were going to have a fun night. But it seems that in the daytime, she's okay. But at night, which we associate night with death, that she's just sitting there almost like the living dead. Like, I was expecting a little more with this night. Like a, like know, a living person. To be here with someone with a soul that says, at least you'll talk to me. Maybe we could talk about principal products of, you know, Mexico or <laughs> no, Canada. <laughs> that's the topic you avoid with John. He's terrible at principal High products. High school football, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know what's funny is his buddy might even be worse. Because he, he gets up to go play some music on the jukebox and his buddy has this, he has this line... His friend comes up and goes, hey, you know, hey, John, what's going on? And he's like, what's with the girl? He's like, that's not the kind of pig you usually drag around. Just a horrible statement. <laughs> but John decides, hey, I don't want you to meet yeah. Mary, but you know what? I'm going to use you, you to try to trick yeah. her. He tells Mary, she's like, oh, is that your friend? And he goes, yeah. He was just telling me about this girl who wants to get with me. Yeah. And, and that always wins a win woman over. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, but you know what? I said no. Yeah. They end up stumbling back to Mary's room. And I got to tell you, though, before we do that, this got to cheers again. I know. I'm so happy with this. That is just a beautiful color. It's, it's like an amber almost to a ruby. With the 32 fluid ounces each? Yeah, two pints. Two pints? That's a, That's about what it gets you there. Yeah. I mean, two pints of this and... It's so tasty. <laughs> it's it so is, tasty. I mean, if they didn't put 9% on there and you were just going to a place and they were pouring. Yeah. And you were like, oh, those are whatever. How much? And it's like, that's a nice price. Loretta, Belgian strong dark ale. We had a little stretch between yeah. recordings. Yeah. So I'm, I have to pat myself on the back. I was able to keep these. <laughs> <laughs> For a couple months. <laughs> oh, man. It was, I was just, every once in a while, I would see them because I didn't put them in the refrigerator because then that's even more temptation. Yeah. And, and I go, oh, man, Michael, you are keeping these for the podcast. You are doing a good job. You, you should go buy another type of beer and drink it just, yeah. to, just to reward maybe a, yourself. Maybe a Budweiser. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So they get back. At this very bad date. I'm guessing he was drinking before he went to pick her oh, yeah. up. He was pre-partying. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he, was, he was pre-partying in his room with his with his Dirt, southern comfort. His and his pint, dirty, dirty cup. <laughs> drinking, just being sad. <laughs> and they get back because he's, he's drunk and he falls on the stairs. Super charming. Sort of gets his way into her room. Such a turn off. Yeah. I mean, nothing's going to happen, but he just drunkenly, desperately seems to think, what, he's going to suddenly become charming. Yeah. She looks in the mirror as he's pawing her, and she sees that it's not John, it's the ghoul. And she freaks out. It's a great moment, because it, and it really is the ghoul. Because John is standing about five feet away from her, and suddenly, John... He doesn't seem so much like the creepy creep that yeah. wants to get some. He's sort of looking around drunkenly like, Oh, I, I was messing with crazy. And Mary flips out. And I want to point out too, like she says, like, I don't want to be left alone. And I, this is a downer, but that's the scariest part of death is being alone and being nothing. And I think that's what she was trying to say. Also want to point out, you had mentioned PTSD. And so I looked up the symptoms and we'll link out to these in our show notes. But... Part of the symptoms of PTSD is intrusive memories. 
and she has these oh wow like, like these dreams these crazy dreams other is avoidance like avoiding places activities or people that remind you of the traumatic event and she left her town she left her parents she never talked and mentioned her friends she doesn't even mention their friends names that happened in that car with her once there's also negative change in thinking. I will say though, the the avoidance yeah. thing is a little tough because she kept going. She, she went. Did the, she she went, went back to the bridge. She a couple went. Times. She went back, and also leaving was planned before. Yeah. True. So that is. And, I, I'm forcing something. No, no. <laughs> here's the thing. You're not forcing, but I don't think it's like it's you, not you don't have to exhibit exactly. every one of you're, these to you're, a T. Exactly. And then there's negative changes in thinking. And as you watch this movie goes through, because like we said. There's not a scene which's comfortable for Mary. What's one of the first the first thing she says is I don't remember. I don't remember exactly. And part of it is memory problems, changes in physical emotional reactions, being easily startled or frightened, irritability. We're reading into this. I don't think he intended, but fits some of the characteristics of someone who has PTSD. So John Bales, as he would, you this is not a man you want in the foxhole. <laughs> Because she does, she flips out, starts screaming, pushing furniture. Fortifying her room. Which is kind of interesting because the ghoul <laughs> appeared outside your second story window yeah. and outside of the window of your moving car. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think pushing a you know an armoire in front of a door is really going to help? So it's the next day. Dr. Samuels just happens by. He's checking up. He's, he's like, overly concerned. He's going to try to register her to vote yeah. because he's doctor of political science and he yeah. thinks it's very important to be part of the democratic process. Are you registered in Utah yet? Miss Thomas, she's not very understanding either. And I mean, again, it's like this new tenant moved in and was freaked out. Yeah. You just go, oh boy, what 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 did I bring into my home? Yeah, exactly. And then Dr. Samuels said, she absolutely refuses my help. And I can't say I blame her. And I'm thinking because you're not a doctor for psychiatry. Yeah. And Miss Thomas, nosy lady that she is, she's, she's like, where are you going? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, Mary walks away as a ghost. She doesn't even respond to her. And I find that chilling. And then her card, she did go off the road. True. Went off the highway, so yeah. her car has a squeak. She has the wherewithal to go, I need to get this looked at I know, before, before I, I get... Le- because before, where is she driving to? I mean, all roads lead to the Carnival of exactly. Souls. That's her Waterloo. She stops at a mechanic's. This might be my Jason moment. <laughs> <laughs> because she goes to the mechanic and, he, and he's like, oh, it's your transmission. I think it's your transmission. And he's like, pull it in. I'm, I'm going to put it on the lift. And she's like, can I stay in the car? He's like, oh, that's what you want. And yeah. raise her up. And I thought, well, wouldn't there be an insurance issue, like a liability issue? I don't think you can leave someone in the lift. And think- all of a sudden I went, oh, my God, that's a Jason. I just had a Jason moment. I'm like, I bet Jason thought that and beamed it towards me because I thought, no, you wouldn't. If I bet if I went to a place now and I said, can I sit in my car while you put it up on a lift? They'd say, Absolutely not. Exactly. You can't do that. What? What's wrong with you? Yeah. I'm serious. I thought about going to a mechanic in the neighborhood and asking them if somebody, like just popping in and going, excuse me, sorry to interrupt your day. If somebody brought their car in and you're putting it on the lift and they said, hey, can I sit in my car while it's on the lift? Is that allowed? First of all, they probably call the police. We got a crazy guy here yeah. asking us about putting people in lifts and cars. We, we, got a guy with, we got a guy with a glass of beer. Yeah. It's just... He's asking stupid questions and wasting our time. <laughs> it's the second almost dream within a dream moment, isn't it? Does the next sequence happen? Because Mary's sitting in the car. She kind of falls asleep. 
You and say with her head back. Like she looks like she's dead. The ghoul enters and lowers the car. Mary freaks out. She runs. We get the wavy screen again so we know we're leaving our world going into the ghouls. Mary goes into the bus station. Nobody's reacting yeah. to her. There's no sound. She runs out. It's a great moment because all of a sudden you hear a voice over the speaker. And it's a little odd voice announcing the eastbound bus. She goes there. The bus is full of ghouls. It's like, get on the bus, Mary. Get on the bus. And that's a frightening scene. This is a a horrific scene. There's not violence in their movie. There's not blood in this movie. But this movie has odd, very unsettling scenes. And this is one of them. They get on the bus and like see death facing you firsthand. And some of them are smiling. I know. They (laughs) kind of lean forward. And again, like you said, it's the simplest makeup. Yeah. It's just just people on a bus. Yeah. But they kind of lean forward. And if you widen your eyes with that black around the white, then they aren't threatening and mean. They're almost like, hey, you made it. Welcome to the party. That whole sequence just builds this tension. It's terrifying. It just gets under your skin. She ends up back. Back at the park in the nature. bird. Bird. And then once again... That almost holy light filtering through the yep. leaves. Absolutely. And, you know, fortunately, that's a pretty cool thing because it's yeah. right across the street from Dr. Samuels, yeah. Yeah. who isn't a psychiatrist. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the flicker back into yeah. existence. Yeah. This is that foreshadowing because she's talking. And you, if you're watching, you can kind of tell. The and chair spins around. It is now the ghoul in that chair. It's not Dr. Samuel. And he yeah. just has this, this grimace. It's almost like Joker on his face. And then Mary wakes up back in the car. This was a dream within a dream or however how you look at this movie. Or and when she freaked the ghouls, like I'm putting you back in the car yeah. because we have to take you at the ballroom. Mary has now lost all her bearing. Her job, her boarding house are all gone. So there's only one place, like you said, to drive to. So, we're, you know, we're back to the pavilion, and Mary has this walk. It's like grim resignation. Yeah. And it reminds me a little bit, there, there's a lot of these Twilight Zone yeah. episodes that this goes back to, the mannequins. One mannequin would get to be a person for 30 days. Yes. They forget that they're mannequins and yes. like that. They have to lure her back. Yeah. She has this grim resignation. It's over. I can't fight this anymore. Her job's gone. Her home's gone. She's left everybody she knows yeah. behind. There's these great shots of her walking through the, the salt air, great tension, the music, and the ghouls start rising out of the water. Very menacing scene. Just, just terrifying. <laughs> yeah. The ghouls coming out of the water will never be not scary to me. And it's, it's interesting. He shot, in this interview, he shot a longer scene that was lost. When he took all the film to get developed, he lost at a roller in the book. The ghouls are in the ballroom. It's this great dreamlike sequence of the of the ghouls dancing and they're terrifying, but they're never menacing. They are scary because they're otherworldly and they look scary and stuff. Death to me is a very scary topic. I don't think of Freddy Krueger or Jason or the alien coming after me. Like, they don't represent death. They represent evil. The Grim Reaper, yeah. that image is, is scary and it's yeah. terrifying. But the Grim Reaper itself, it's like, it's like I'm just doing my job. Exactly. It's your time. And it's another Twilight Zone episode where the Grim Reaper is a handsome young man. And he's just trying to convince someone, like, this is it. We referred a lot of Twilight Zone in this. The, the Twilight Zone. <laughs> exactly. Everything's coming back to the, the Twilight Zone. Oh, wow. Oh, wait. We are nerds. <laughs> Mary's finally sees 
and she's standing there watching. She's not running in terror, which is what a living person would do if they walked into this abandoned salt air, saw a bunch of ghouls dancing. I don't think I would (laughs) stick around. I'm not going to lie. The main ghoul is dancing with ghoul Mary in the black dress. And then it would cut to Mary as in our world. And the Mary he's holding is the ghoul. Her head's back. And they're spinning and dancing. And then he sort of dances over by Mary. And she sees the ghoul is dancing with her as a ghoul. And that's the snap right there. The realizations come to her like, I'm dead. She runs around the salt air a little bit. Because that's another great moment. In this interview, he mentions who they hired to do this. I think it was like a dance troupe in the local area. That moment when she runs and they all stop dancing and And go, we're running, is horrifying. It makes sense. I'm glad you found this interview because she's like hiding behind this pillar. And all of a sudden they pop up around. And their their movements and actions are very dance theater-like. Because again, they're not like... You're already with us. Yeah. You just have to realize it. it. We're dancing. Why yeah. don't you join us? It's yeah. a, you know, dancing We're dancing is, for eternity. It's beautiful. And so. she runs out, and it's actually, it's a desert now, but it used to be when they built the Saltaire, there was water there. And she runs out to it, and she falls down. And the final scene of her is the looking up and seeing the ghouls reaching for her. And she screams, and then it cuts. Dr. Samuels, the the priest, cop, and a rando. This would be freaky if you were investigating this. You see Mary's footsteps. You don't see any other footsteps because the ghouls weren't here. Her footsteps go out. You see where she fell down. There are even handprints. That's where it all stopped. And I like the scene because it's both the doctor and the minister looking. They both turn and look at it one direction. It's science and faith. They can't explain what happened think that's the end of the movie but what happens michael we are back at the old bridge and they finally found the car so we are over a week and they're pulling the car out there are three women the three women from the beginning and mary's in the passenger side all dead i will say i think it is a curious thing that three people could be in a river dead for a week and they, they look fine. It's like, that's that's not fair. They didn't have a budget. Probably were like, eh, got to be able to make sure it looks like Mary. Mary is there. She finally was able yeah. to get where we, she's supposed to be. be. And then we get the end over, again, the wavy credits yeah. over the water. Nice little effect. And it transitions because the water ends and it's the salt air in the background. And that's the end of the movie. And I think this movie ends with a lot of people thinking like, what actually happened? <laughs> I mean, I feel like we might be on different things here because I think this all happened. Mm-hmm. That Mary, it was just a spirit that came out and existed because she didn't know, because she didn't have belief, she mm-hmm. didn't have faith. I feel like you do think it's more of the incident at Owl Creek. I do. I, I think none that this, of this was happened. Like, none of this happened. I think that these were all like archetypes in her mind. And in the moments of her death, as she fought against it, she had this vivid, lucid dream. But in reality, she died from drowning. And then a part of me thinks like, well, wait a second. Maybe it's more sci-fi. And she blipped into another reality. Because at the end, it's so strange that they're, they're looking at literal handprints. And she's not there. And yet they're still filming saying, she ended right here. Her car's out there. Well, maybe did she transition into another alternative universe, a mirror universe? She should have had a goatee. I feel like Herc is with me. Reading Herc's interview, I think he's more with you. <laughs> Where this this was just an unsettled soul. Yeah. Either way, it's one of the things I love about it. 
Herc is like very pragmatic yeah. about his approach to it, but we can all pull something a little different out of it. The bottom line to me is I really, really like this movie. I, I do too. This is this is just a it's a great horror movie. I don't like the term necessarily. It makes you think, but you do. You you and I have different viewpoints on it. It's really well done. Mary Candace Hillegas, she's great. The downside is like some of the acting is clearly people non-actors. I'm repeating myself yeah. a little bit, but I just there's a part of me that just feels like there's an alternate universe where Herc Harvey was allowed to yeah. make more movies and made some cool movies because I just think this is all we have from him yeah. and this was a dang good movie. Yeah. It was it really was. well done. You got zero monies and, and he still pulled it off. Candace Hillegas. She has her own webpage. She's written a, a memoir. She didn't do too much acting after this. She married a, a, a very established actor. They're married for a long time. And I, like, check out her website and see what she says. And she has a book out there on Amazon. You can buy it on her website. I do want to talk about what Herc said. And in the Tom Lieber interview, he asked him directly, are there deeper meanings in Carnival Souls? As some of the artsy fartsies claim, and that's a quote, <laughs> or is it simply an exercise in weirdness? And Herc's reply was, it's an exercise in weirdness. Some of the deeper meanings are there, like the call of death and that sort of thing John Cliff and I intended. But a lot of things that have been read into it have happened because of audiences. And I think that's fine. But he's clearly saying all these perspectives, that's not what I intended. That's what's great about art. Like you can sit there, particularly with yeah. mirrors, you know, wax poetically about what you feel about life. Is what this is, and then it, somebody just goes, "I think it tastes really good." Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it goes back to we were having a discussion. Yeah. John Lennon had a similar thing where, boy, they just dig deep whole college courses yeah. about the Beatles lyrics. And John Lennon, he would just flat out said a couple times, he's like, "I wrote that, you know, sitting on the toilet." It's just these words went together well. You know, that's okay because at the end of the day, I enjoy the heck out of yeah. it. I can just watch this movie and go. This gets under my skin. Yeah. This movie freaks me out a little bit. I mean, the ghoul is also creepy. And, and he just, mentions how he does the makeup. He's like, it's basically pancake makeup and like grease paint around the eyes. Yeah, it's so simple. So simple. It's executed wonderfully. I would say this, and I would recommend if you are able to get the Belgian Dark. Oh, yeah. Belgian Strong Dark El Loretta from Fieldwork. You if, drink this, and you could have some very philosophical discussions about this movie far better than Michael and myself. Oh, absolutely. You know, we're, we're just a couple of guys who like beer and B-movies and talking about them. So, the same thing, I, I recommend this movie. If you haven't seen it, I watched it on Amazon Prime. I think you can watch it on YouTube. Really easy to find. Yeah. And it's very cool. This would be a great October. It's a great little slice of weirdness. And it's, there's a Criterion Edition that has a lot of extras on it. Now I'm going to own that. <laughs> I'm probably going to seek that out. Thanks for listening to Beer and Bee Movies. And you know what? If you enjoy this, subscribe, like, and comment on the podcast. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And check out our website. This is Jason. And this is Michael. Principal product. Yeah, you know, you're like a, a principal product of Brazil. Uh...